Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. We're joined today by Andre Bruno, Director of ETF Capital Markets, for a look at what may be on the horizon for capital markets in 2023. With host Pamela Ritchie today, Andre reflects on this business cycle, which has moved much faster than typical cycles. They'll also discuss what's next from the U.S. Federal Reserve, the overall inflation story, and if the traditional 60-40 portfolio is back. Also today, a look at earnings throughout 2023, Andre's thoughts on Canadian real estate and if there is potential for higher mortgage defaults, Europe, ETF flows in 2022, and more. Now, for more on the topic of 2022 ETF flows, you can also listen to Andre's discussion with Etienne Yonkis Bouchard on our Fidelity ETF Exchange podcast that was released on January 2nd. Today's podcast was recorded on January 4th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you, Andre, in person, no less. Uh, it's amazing to be in person. It's, yeah. it's a little bit back to normalcy. Um, happy New Year to you and to everyone watching. New Year to everyone watching and to you. Great to great to see you here. Um, okay, well, let's go straight to a couple of headlines because why not? Um, we saw Kevin McCarthy not being able to become the House leader in the U.S. I think sort of the implications of this is really just the background of whether a debt ceiling push is going to be incredibly important for investors to look at or not in the year to come. Let's start there. Yeah, it's a great question. It seems like the debt ceiling, you know, debacle is kind of an annual affair now, it seems. Um, You know, it's happened multiple times. I feel like the market has just generally desensitized this just because it's been happening so frequently in the last, you know, five or six or seven years. Um, You know, we did get a scenario where the government did shut down, uh, I believe it was a few years ago. You know, the the sky didn't fall, markets didn't panic. Again, I think generally speaking, everyone's just desensitized. And I think there are bigger fish to fry in terms of, you know, the global economy, inflation and other macro factors that are kind of taking front stage. Well, let's go into those those fish and fry them a little bit here. Okay, so the inflation story, I mean, to some extent, some will say the back has been broken. Is that, is that where you sort of look at things from? I, I think that generally applies to North America. We have seen kind of inflation prints roll over. Uh, if you take a look at the Fed's PCE, which is their preferred inflation metric that they take a look at uh, as it pertains to their monetary policy decisions, hovering around 5.5% has been trending in the right direction. I believe we peaked kind of in North America around sometime in June. Um, so inflation is rolling over. Uh, Europe, a bit of a different story. They're still in double-digit inflation. So things are still running a little bit hot there. Uh, but I think in terms of, of North America, I think the, the worst is behind us and we are trending in the right direction, albeit at a very slow pace. Okay. Well, and I mean, the return to normalcy, I don't, I don't know whether we sort of broached this, but, but again, there's money coming out of the markets. We know that ultimately there's plenty of liquidity, but the liquidity is also being sort of sopped up in, in 
perhaps a more normal way. But where do you think we stand on that right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of healthy that we're getting back to normal levels. We're getting away from, you know, loose monetary policy, entering to tight monetary policy. The Fed is reducing their balance sheet, not super quickly, uh, mind you, but they are reducing their balance sheet. So they're getting back to normal levels of interest rate, normal le levels of liquidity, I think overall is healthy for the market. Um, you know, obviously it was a painful year last year, both with fixed income and equity markets being highly correlated and, and, and down large last year. So it, it has been a painful return to normalcy. I think there probably is still room for a little bit more pain, um, you know, in equity markets and potentially fixed income markets since we are still in a rate hiking cycle. Uh, but I think, you know, I think there are, you know, bluer skies ahead of us for 2023. But again, I still think we're going to see some increased volatility in the first half of the year. Obviously, there's, you know, a lot of, you know, conversations around recessions and are, is it going to be a soft landing? Is it a hard landing? Are we going to avoid it altogether? Mm -hmm. So I think there is still going to be a little bit of fog for the first half of the year here in 2023. You come from the bond markets, the bond desks, who uh, I think initially started there. Tell us the bond story for 2023. I mean, as you can see it from this point. Yeah, I think generally speaking, what we're expected to see, I think I think yields are going to be relatively range bound. Obviously, the front end is going to move a little bit in response to monetary policy as rates continue uh, to move higher. So if you take a look at terminal rates, what's priced in currently, we're sitting somewhere around five percent from the Fed. You know, some people are saying, you know, we think the Fed can go up to five and a half percent, so maybe run a little bit past that. So there's potential that, you know, there's an extra 50 basis points that might get filtered into the yield curve there. In Canada, we're sitting somewhere at four and a half percent. Tiff Macklem has been a little bit, I don't want to say dovish, but he's certainly been a little less hawkish than, than Jerome Powell and the folks at the FOMC. So it looks like Canada is going to end kind of a little bit shy of where the U.S. is going to end up. That being said, if we get further rises in inflation, obviously that all goes out the window and, you know, things are going to get repriced in probably a, a relatively violent way, although that's kind of not the base case of what folks are thinking or what I'm thinking for 2023. But again, yeah, broadly speaking, I don't think the long end is going to move a heck of a lot. The front end, obviously, okay. again, is going to move in response to monetary policy. Okay, I want to come back to the, to the short end just in just one second. The, the main difference between what Tiff Macklin needs to grapple with is, is our housing market, sort of in a word, yes, or... Certainly. And again, I think the Canadian consumer is a lot more sensitive to rises in interest rate relative to our U.S. counterparts. And that comes down to uh, just, just broad debt levels for the, the consumer, number one. And number two, also mortgage debt as well. So obviously, you know, uh, as a percentage of GDP, the Canadian housing market is kind of, I think, the highest or close to the highest of it as a percentage of GDP. So we're a lot more sensitive to, to interest rate rises relative to the folks down south. And that's the housing market. And that's a difficult area. And the, and the mortgage market but what does it do to our spending, ultimately, our consumption? Yeah, so I mean, if you take a look at good spending, it was uh, it was down in Q3 in Canada. So obviously, you know, we're we're developed economy, so a large portion of our GDP, if you think back to your Econ 101, the the C portion of the equation is kind of what dominates our GDP growth here in North America. So again, as consumption pulls back, obviously that's going to filter into GDP, and I think that's something that was reflected in in Tiff Macklem's statement a little while back when he we indicated that they've they've downgraded their growth forecast for Canada for 2020. And I think a large part of that comes from the consumption side of things. Do you think that the 60-40 is back now or it's going to be back? Um, I think it looks better. Um, <laughs> That's not answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think, I, think, I think it is it is back in the, in the sense that, you know, if, if you look over the last 10 years, yields were super, super low. So that 40 part wasn't doing a heck of a lot for you. Uh, last year, it didn't do a heck of a lot for you because it was highly correlated with equities. Everything's down. 
Um, so a lot of folks saying 64 doesn't work. Look, you know, the correlation is, is, is positive now. It doesn't work anymore. But I think yields are getting to an attractive level where your bonds are going to perform that insurance function for you once again. You've got enough coupon. You've got enough yield baked into bonds right now that, you know, if you do get movements in duration, you can still eke out a positive return. That certainly wasn't the case over the last 10 years. You know, you got 100 basis point movement yields. You're, you're certainly underwater, as, as we saw last year. Yield curves obviously move more than 100 basis points. But yeah. You know, it didn't take much for you to be in the negative territory when, you know, you're sitting at a, a yield of somewhere around 3%, duration of 5 to 7, you know. That's, that's, that's sort of where, I know, I mean, it, it's, it's a well-spelled out story. Um, let's go back to duration a little bit because it, it goes to sort of how long we sit with interest rates in a higher range. Uh, what, what do you think on that front? So it's a good question. So, you know, historically, we're getting on a little bit late in the cycle. It's been a super fast cycle since COVID. Really Normally, is. it takes much longer. And, I, 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 you know, we've, we've kind of progressed through the cycle a lot faster than we're used to. So late in the cycle, typically what you're looking at is you're looking to reduce kind of your credit exposures. You're looking to add to duration because you're thinking recession over the horizon. You know, duration typically rallies in that scenario. People buy long bonds. Long yeah. bonds do well. But the big question right now is, you know, if we do get into a soft, you know, landing type scenario, is the Fed going to cut rates? Is the BAC, BOC going to cut rates or are they just going to maintain higher rates for longer? Right. So a lot of people are kind of leaning into that camp in terms of thinking, you know, the Fed put is maybe not as much in place now as it historically has been. So perhaps, you know, the play is to play the shorter end of the yield curve, thinking that, you know, that long end, we're not going to cut rates. We're not going to see rates move lower. Perhaps stay in the short end of the curve where you're getting a yield pickup relative to the long end right now. The yield curve is inverted right now. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing a little bit more interest in the short end relative to the long end right now. Let's go global, sticking with sort of the, the shorter duration versus longer duration. Something else is going to come into the shorter duration, if we want to term it that way, is China's reopening and actually COVID spreading like lightning through China right now. Put that into sort of the discussion of shorter term, longer term. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of China, obviously, we know they've had kind of a no COVID, zero COVID policy, which has been affecting kind of the supply side of things from a global perspective. As we know, China is kind of the, the manufacturing hub of the globe. So in a, in a big part of the inflation story has been that supply, those supply side issues as well. So they are starting to loosen things up. So, you know, assuming that they can open up and China starts to open back up, I think you're going to see a couple things. Number one, you're going to see supply come back online, which is positive for the inflation story. You are going to see more of a demand for commodities as well, which could have the result of pushing commodity prices higher. I think overall, the increase in supply is going to overpower the kind of increase in, in commodity prices. So net net, I think it'll, it'll be positive for the inflation story insofar as I think it'll help to lower overall inflation from that perspective. Um, the question is, is at what pace do they loosen things up? At what pace do they get things back online? You know, do they have a scenario where COVID spreads super rapidly and they have to go back to the zero COVID policy? So there's a lot of risks surrounding the, the kind of the China reopening story. And therefore the short term. That's sort of that's sort of how you look at that exactly right now. Let's let's go to earnings briefly. We sort of talked about it on the consumption side of things. Um, where where do you see earnings through 2023? Let's start there. Yeah. So there's obviously been some revisions, a little yeah. bit lower. Enough. Um, well, that's the, that's the million dollar question, yeah. right? So a lot of folks are saying, you know, you know, stocks have been down, um, you know, multiples have come in a little bit, you know, is, is the market pricing in, you know, enough of uh, an earnings drawdown? So, the, you know, again, it's a bit of a tug of war. I'd say there's probably still a little bit more room to get uh, some repricing a little bit lower and, and, and price earnings a little bit lower. So I think that's a little bit of a risk right now. Yeah. So, 
I guess what, what I'm saying in a, in, a, in, a, in a way is that, you know, there is still room for a little bit more pain in the equity markets. But again, so that's why, you know, we're seeing kind of demand for kind of still safe areas of the market, whether it be your dividends, get your cash flows, or your high quality companies that have good, stable earnings. So we're seeing interest there. And from a defense perspective, that if you do want to play it defensively, those are kind of the areas you want to focus on. They're expensive, though. They are expensive. So, so, so that's the... Yeah, so that's a trade-off there. So some folks are saying it's too expensive, I don't want to buy it. Others are saying it's defensive, but it's working, so I am going to buy it. Right, right. Yeah, sleep at night factor comes in. Uh, depends depends on how you're looking at things. So so let's go a little bit on sort of the inflation story and where this goes. Um, so with China opening up supply chains, another big question within the supply chain discussion is um, – you know, further digitization. It's not a new story, but getting sort of the logistics piece of things properly uh, digitized. Is, is that coming fast enough or is that still years away? I mean, I think there, there's, it's going to happen slowly but surely. I don't okay. think it's going to happen overnight. Um, I think the interesting thing about supply chains, though, is I think they have changed quite a bit over COVID. Right. Um, so the question is, is, you know, are we going to shift to potentially some more local um, and more diversified manufacturing that could potentially increase costs over the long run. Yeah. Because as we learned in COVID, you know, certain China shut down and we couldn't source, you know, whether it was, you know, certain inputs for other products or, 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 or just... Uh, Sorry not to say toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first that thing too. that went off the shelves. Um, <laughs> But, but no, so I, said, so I think supply chains have changed since COVID. So that's certainly going to change kind of the overall kind of global supply chain moving forward. Uh, again, I think there is some diversification away from China. You're starting to see, you know, some semiconductors get back on short yeah. into the United States. Obviously, that's going to be at a high, higher cost point. So there could be some longer term inflationary pressures from that perspective. Excellent. Um, let's go to flows. Actually, I was going to ask you this a little bit earlier on, but if, if we sort of sum up what we, I, I, feel, I feel like a lot of people kind of know the story of last year because it was either felt in a painful way or certainly felt in some way, but let's go through what you saw in terms of flows and then we'll try and move forward to where we're going. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say primarily, I'm going to think in terms of the ETF space here, but yeah. we, we just see a lot of defensive names again, kind of your, your low vol names, your quality names, getting your, your dividend names got quite a bit of those from the equity side. On the fixed income side, I'd say for the most part, cash products. We yeah. think of your HISA ETFs. Again, they're providing super attractive yields, you know, no duration risk, no credit risk. We saw a lot of investors flowing to that area of the market. I'd say a little bit later on in the year, you were starting to get a little more interest in kind of those diversified global fixed income mandates. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues. Um, you know, anecdote, just from this week alone, we continue to see flow in the cash. And again, it's, 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 it's a tough argument to make against cash right now. It's, it's, you know, yielding more than, again, the short end of the curve, yielding a little bit more than the longer end of the curve. For sure, when you, when you overlay some credit, you can, you can certainly get your yields a little bit higher on the bond side. So there's certainly a case to be made for, for both. Layer a couple of those pieces in there and, and tell us about currency, because currency was just wild last year. Is that starting to straighten itself out? Yeah, so the U.S. was, uh, I believe, the number one currency last year. Um, as we know, the Fed, Fed rate hike cycle, yields go up, currencies follow. Um, so again, this year we're starting to see a little bit of a difference there. So a lot of the question is, have we reached peak U.S. dollar? So then a lot of the questions are coming, okay, if we reach peak U.S. dollars, you know, where, how can we take advantage of that? So there's been a lot of talk about EM um, whether it's EM equity or EM debt, but if you take a look at EM debt, it was one of the worst performing areas right. last year. You know, EM, EM is trading at kind of almost distress, distress levels, like almost like, you know, 2008 levels. 
type situation. So again, you know, if we think that's going to reverse this year, U.S. dollar is going to come off this year. Taking a look at EM debt, just given where yields are right now, number one and number two add on the currency uh, tailwind that EMs can get as the U.S. dollar weakens, EM is starting to look a little bit more attractive. So folks start taking a look at that area of the market. So sort of the local currency, but yeah, fixed income side of things. That's right. I mean, yeah. Could it get worse? I mean, this is sort of the question, isn't it? It's hard to know, but um, it was so tough last year. Does it look like something has fundamentally changed or is it a case of it just was so awful last year and we go to valuation? Yeah, so, I mean, I think I think it was so awful last year because inflation was so awful. I right. think that's kind of the that, that inflation is driving the bus right now, and obviously by extension the central banks. So I think from a North American perspective, again, the inflation story has turned around. So I think things are looking a little bit better from that perspective. So I think again, if inflation can continue to trend towards two percent target, uh, unsure if the Fed's going to be able or the BOC is going to be able to get us to two percent by the end of the year. But I think it, they're going to be able to get us somewhere close to that two percent target. So I think you know as soon as that kind of risk starts to go away, then I think markets will be uh, number one a lot less jittery, um, and things will look a lot more positive from that perspective. So just kind of continuing with the with the relative story global globally. Um, what do you think of Europe? Yeah, so Europe does have some headwinds for this winter. Of course, you know, fortunately, it's been kind of a mild winter so far in right. Europe. Um, but again, you know, if, if they do get some serious cold snaps, it is going to put a lot of pressure on energy prices in Europe. They are running a little bit hotter than they are in, in North America. Um, so I think that could be very problematic for Europe. So I think that's kind of their, their main risk for Europe over this winter. From a valuation perspective, things seem reasonable there, but I think they have a lot more headwinds than, than say, North America going into the first half of this year. Uh, Canadian real estate, do, do you think there's a risk of rising defaults? I mean, ultimately, that picture. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think defaults right now are super, super low. I yeah. think they're well below historical averages. So, I mean, if you're going to bet, you're going to bet it's going to move a little bit higher <laughs> off towards, uh, towards kind of more historical averages. I think the question they more want to answer is do we – in a situation where we have soaring defaults. Right. Um, I, I, I don't think so, especially for this year. Um, again, you know, the government did institute those stress tests in, into mortgages several years back. So I think that's done a good job of kind of potentially insulating potential defaults moving forward. That being said, you know, if we get some sort of another black swan exogenous shock where we enter a massive global recession obviously you could see default soar but from a base case perspective i would say i don't, I don't think we're going to get to concerning levels of defaults in the near term anyway when we looked when we look at sort of what the fed has in terms of levers to pull um i think we spoke about this a little while ago with with denise chisholm but just the idea that the fed and, and other central banks are in a position where they do actually have levers to pull at this point and qt is one of them for the us right. um and also also, obviously, the rate story. Canada, I mean, what do you think on the levers to pull? Should they be needed? Um, well, we certainly have levers to pull on a loosening, yep. from a loosening perspective now. Obviously, we've gotten rates up to high levels. Obviously, quantitative easing can come back into play if things get super, super dire in Canada and the United States. Again, I think central banks right now probably want to reduce balance sheets again to give them a little bit more ammo from a quantitative easing perspective. And number two, I think they're going to want to keep rates at least elevated for a little bit while, keep things a little bit normalized for a little while um, before they, they, they go to slash. I think in a soft landing scenario, I think they're going to be a little hesitant to slash rates down to zero as they did during COVID. So I think we are going to have elevated 
I say elevated from, you know, yeah. lo local history oh, terms last 10 years, <laughs> yeah. no, not super historical terms, but from, from relative terms, they are going to remain, you know, higher, at least kind of north of kind of 3% on the overnight perspective for at least for a little bit. Yeah. Going to the defensive sector, which, you know, you'd mentioned safer, maybe more expensive, but thoughts on healthcare particularly, uh, and maybe some other traditionally defensive sectors themselves. Yeah. So I think, I mean, broadly speaking, I think you know, cyclicals might start to work sometime next year. Mm -hmm. um, at, at some point in time, I think healthcare right now, from a from a valuation perspective, is looking somewhat attractive. Also, they have, they are. I know healthcare is not necessarily cyclical, but again, that is a good defensive name in this environment as well. If you get a recessionary scenario, people are still going to need their healthcare, so it is a good area to put your money in. Um, again, generally speaking, though, we do like some decent diversification again for the first half of the year, just because we're. We still do have that volatility. We have a lot of bogeys out there, whether it's the inflation story, whether it's you know geopolitical risks in the form of the Russo-Ukraine war, China as well. So again, generally broadly speaking, just staying a little bit defensive in the first half of the year, if you want to kind of wade through the the volatility, is generally a good idea. Again, we still do like the dividend payers, generally higher quality names. You're getting an income stream as well, so it is a good opportunity to kind of outperform broadly speaking. Again, a little bit on the rich side. But certainly, certainly a little bit better for a volatile environment. Okay, so you just mentioned the factors there. The, the, taking a look at low vol dividend, um, looking good, growth. I mean, some of the reasons that factor investing rose was because it was such a growth environment. It was right. an interesting time, right. Right. and so it was it was a way to look at the market. Um, where does growth go? What, how do you look at growth? So, so growth has obviously been, you know driven by the rate story, I think, for the most part. So, you know, valuations have come down to earth. They're still not super cheap, but they're certainly well off kind of where the highs of the multiples were trading, you know, roll back to, you know, last year prior to last year. So value has taken over a little bit. Value is looking attractive right mm. now. I think the big question is, is, you know, when the Fed does end their rate hike cycle, the BOC does rate their... What are we left are, with? Are we going to see yeah. that revert back? Are we going to yeah. see people? I think you'll, you'll, I think you'll see a bump in growth. You know, initially when that happens, kind of as the Fed puts a pause on things, you, you will see, a, I think you'll see a bump in growth. The question is, is will it continue to trend higher or will will value start to dominate after? I mean, it's sort of that regime change question. That, that's we right. We don't seem to know what we're in the middle of. Is right. that fair in well, terms well, of that's, that? Well, that's right. It's just a question. Are we going to revert back to that growth right. regime or is value taking? Right, right. What What might be a couple of points on either side for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think generally, I mean, I think the thing with growth generally that attracts a lot of people is just again, it's it's the tech industry. We're going through this insane, you know, technological growth. Um, so I think there's a lot of attractiveness there, just in terms of kind of what tech is doing. So I, I think that broadly speaking is is what drives people towards those names. I think, you know, growth just seems sexy, you know. Yeah. And again, there, there's a lot of great companies doing you know crazy things, making large investments in in. in and technology. Uh, so again, I, I, I think it's just a very attractive area of the market. Yeah, something for everyone. Yeah. Something for everyone. Tell us about Liquid Alts. Liquid Alts. So it's been a good year for Liquid Alts. It has been um, a good year. You know, yes. Especially thinking about some of our Fidelity uh, funds that we have on the shelf that have done, some of our managers have done quite well. Uh, but again, Liquid Alts make a ton of sense in volatile markets, right? There's a lot more levers they can pull on, not just having to be long only, can, can take the short side of things as well, pair trades. Um, so again, I think I think there's there's been a large uptick in, in the demand for liquid alts over the last year for sure for for obvious reasons. I think that's going to continue moving forward. When you think about the retail investor as well, you know we're starting to provide kind of products that they can get into that traditionally may have not been 
available or uh, only available to accredited investors. So I think I think you know still early on in the liquid alt space, but I think the demand for those can continue to increase moving forward. Okay, really interesting. So I mean, yeah, as you say, it's been a really interesting year, but it might continue for liquid alts. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. think just broadly, just the 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 sector, so to speak, the asset class. You know, as advisors and folks get more educated on on kind of what's in those products and get more comfortable with them, I think it's the demand is going to continue to grow. Let's go back to the question of recession and then ultimately what that means for maybe different cap sizes. Taking a look at you know what you think of ultimately a, a small cap versus a more reliable kind of large cap space and and a kind of the global picture. Like how do, how do we look at that right now? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's going to be an opportunity for small caps sometime this year. I think market time is going to be important for that. But um, I think again, going into just just given how many how much uncertainty there still is, how much volatility we're still expecting, uh, you know, given the recessionary concerns, I think you are going to see and people have been kind of playing more in the large cap space relative to the small cap space. But I think you know. The small caps have gotten hit a little bit, and again, I think there is going to be a good buying opportunity sometime in 2023 to take a look at at uh, small caps. Generally speaking, I like kind of the global small cap, just get a little bit more diversification within your your small cap exposure. Is that on the currency purposes or uh, just just generally because you know going into smaller caps versus large caps, I'll do large caps a little bit more certain, a little more established. Just getting a little bit more diversification, whether it's geographically speaking. So you know, generally for me personally, maybe I'm a little risk averse but when i go a little bit further out on the risk these I, markets, I, I like yeah. to get a little bit more diver, diversification so that's why i kind of for more of a global global small cap question rolling in on canadian financials you know all six of them yeah yeah so i think canadian i think financials broadly are looking decent decent for next year again you should say banks but anyway yeah <laughs> carry on they're not they're the opposite to the small cap yeah. right 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 um so financials are looking are looking decently good for next year i think you know again interest rates are higher margins are are typically banks like higher rates so, so it is it is a positive environment as it pertains to the canadian bank i think the canadian banks will still benefit from that as well but i think again the largest risk for the canadian banks is that housing housing industry. Um, again, I don't think that we're going to see a wave of defaults come through on the mortgage side of things. So I think you know, they'll be okay from that perspective. But I think financials, broadly speaking, is a good place to be. Canadian and and maybe versus financials in other parts of the world? Yeah, I think Canadian banks are, are good. U.S. banks are good. They're well capitalized. This is a 2008. You know, they, they've, they've, got a, they've got a lot of capital buffers underpinning their balance sheets. So we're not going to get a 2008 scenario. So I think, so I think yeah, again, financials look a lot better right now, even if we're going into kind of a recessionary environment relative to they were in kind of 2007, 2008. We started talking a little bit about debt, U.S., the debt ceiling. Um, let's come back to bonds just to round out sort of the beginning of this year. Here we are, January 2023. The argument for bonds. Yeah, I think I think the number one argument is just where yields are right now. Um, yeah. You know, certainly a lot higher. We're off the peaks. I think we peaked sometime in, uh, I believe it was October, kind of peak yields. Uh, this steadily been moving a little bit lower. Um, what you have to, I think the main question you need to ask and you need to address this year is how much credit risk you want to take. So again, there is some recessionary fears. Um, you take a look at the high yield space, we're getting, you know, nine, 10%, which is, which is quite a robust yield from a high yield perspective. You know, defaults are still relatively low. The debt wall, maturity wall has been pushed out. A lot of folks refinance when rates, when, when rates were super low. So not a lot of high yield issuers have anything to default to until about 2025 is when we start to get a lot of maturities. Um, but again, it, you know, 
even if they don't default, you might get spread widening, which is obviously going to hurt your, your overall return. So the question is, is where do you want to allocate your fixed income? We are kind of late in the cycle here. So investment grade does make a lot of sense late in the cycle. Yields are looking decently attractive in investment grade as well. Something that people are starting to talk about a little bit more is, is you know, agency mortgage-backed security. Agency just means it's, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government in this case. People are starting to look at that because mortgage-backed securities have something called negative convexity. So when rates move higher, they become more sensitive to interest rates. So it's been an area that our portfolio managers have avoided last year. But valuations are getting uh, interesting. I think AAA AB mortgage-backed securities are yielding a little bit more than single-A corporates right now. So there is a little yield pickup opportunity there as well. So that's one area of the market that might be interesting to take a look at for 2023. Okay, Andre Bruno. Pleasure to see you in person. Thank you for joining us on Fidelity Connects. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. And while visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.